0: Tonight we are in Genesis chapter 35 and we are continuing with this extremely long story of a guy named Jacob, all right? We met Jacob 10 chapters ago. That was before Thanksgiving, right? And we've been walking along with this guy's story. Is Jacob a good dude or a bad dude? Yeah. yes. But if his life was put on a scale, it's probably a lot more bad than good, isn't it? He's a tricky dude, right? I mean, how does it start out? He's, he's the, the younger son of a set of twins. He takes advantage of his brother's super starving hunger this one day and tricks him out of his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup, which isn't even that good. You know, wasn't like it was mashed potatoes or something. That would have been worth it. But lentil soup? Yes, someone says, <laughs> I need to try your lentil soup, apparently. Um, but then what does he do? He steals his brother's birthright. And then he, he's kicked out of his father's house, basically. He leaves with nothing. And he's traveling to go to his uncle Laban. And, what, and, in, and as, as he's traveling, he stops at this place and he falls asleep with his head on a rock and he has this amazing dream and encounters God. He says, man, this place is amazing. I'm going to call this place Bethel, the house of God. And then he continues on to Laban and he, he meets this young lady that he wants to get married. Her name's Rachel and he's pretty excited. And he, he tells her father-in-law Laban, hey, I'll work for her for seven years to get married to her. And then on his wedding night, he wakes up the next morning and it ain't Rachel. It's the younger sister, Leah. So he says, I'll work another seven years for Rachel. And then there's that issue with, you know, Rachel can't have kids and Leah can have kids. And so then Rachel gives Jacob her handmaiden and then Leah gives Jacob. So now Jacob's got four wives, basically, and he's got kids coming out of his ears. And then he gets in trouble with his father-in-law. So now he has to run away again. I mean, this is a, it's a drama. It's a saga, right? So he leaves and he's, he's running away from Laban, but he's running towards Esau, his brother, who he's afraid is going to kill him. And then what happens that night before he meets Esau? He has this encounter with God. And it's so beautiful, so amazing. And he wrestles with God and God names him and blesses him. And God tells him, man, go back to Bethel. Go to Bethel, get back to the house of the Lord. And so what happens? Jacob gets up the next day and he's so freaked out. He's gonna see Esau and Esau comes up to him and he hugs him and he loves him and it's beautiful. And so then Jacob goes straight to Bethel. No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't go to Bethel. He stops at this place called Shechem. And it's a wreck. And his daughters raped and his sons become mass murderers. And then we pick up again, 10 chapters later, which brings me to the giant question about Jacob's life. Who cares? <laughs> you feel that way sometimes? I, I, I did. I sat down. I'm like, are we still studying Jacob? And I remembered as I grew up and as I was becoming a young man and the way I would study the Bible and read through the Bible, there was a lot of this stuff in the Old Testament where I'm like, dude, who cares? Seriously, just give me the New Testament. That's where the good stuff is. These are Sunday school stories. Who cares? Until my junior year in high school, in 1998, we went out to, started going to a new church, went out to Applegate Christian Fellowship. And they were in Genesis when we first came. And as someone described it to me the other day who had a similar experience, it was like getting a glass of fresh, cool water. It's like, oh, this is beautiful. There's actually so much in here. And what happened was I learned about these stories and about how you can see Jesus through them. But I also learned through that time in my life, how to study the Old Testament for myself. Because that's one of the things that is a goal here is you guys come on a Wednesday night. Yeah, we want to have a good meal. We want to worship. We want to teach you what God's word says. But at the same time, we want you to learn how to study God's word. So you can go home and you can read through these stories yourself and you can glean things out of them because that's such a rich time. And you're going to see things in these stories that I never see because God's going to speak those into you because of your experience and the way your life is. That's what it means when it says the word is living. It's, it's going to speak something totally different to you than it might to me. And I want us to all be able to study these things together. And so as we go through tonight, I'm just going to kind of explain to you how I approach studying a chapter in the Old Testament. As I go through any one section, I really just ask myself three questions. Does this teach me anything about God? Because every time I get to see God interact with mankind, I can learn something about his character, his nature, the way he is, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And sometimes we can see New Testament, Old Testament, maybe methodologies change, but his character, God's character has never changed. And so I can learn something if I ask, Hey, what does this little section teach me about God? Second thing I always ask, what does this teach me about myself or ourselves as humans, as Christians, as God's people? What does this section teach us about ourselves, our tendencies, our failings, our potential pitfalls? What does this have to say about us in general? And then finally, like, are there any instructions? Did God give the people in this story, in this section, any instructions that I might stand back and be like, actually, that'd be a really good instruction for me in my life? Good instructions. What does it say about God? What does it say about us? Is there anything specifically actionable that were instructions from God? And then finally, we have to avoid some mistakes, some very common mistakes as we read through and study the Old Testament. I kind of named them all and we're gonna go through them tonight, but there's the timeline trouble, there's descriptive versus prescriptive, there's over-spiritualizing, there's bad Bible teachers, and there's misleading headings. Okay, so those are all things that have tripped me up in the past and will continue to trip me up as we study through the Old Testament. So we're gonna touch on some of those tonight. So you guys ready to study an Old Testament chapter together? Let's do it. Genesis 35. Here's what it says. God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household, and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. First thing that I see when I read through this little section is a potential pitfall. And it's this, it's the timeline trouble. So even though we've been studying Jacob for months, this is years and years and years and years and years of Jacob's life. And it gets compressed in these Old Testament stories. So when we read here, God said to Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel. It seems like God is talking to Jacob all the time, doesn't it? because just two chapters ago, God told him, Jacob, arise and go to Bethel. And then he met God when he saw Esau. And then now God's talking to him again, but that's been 10 years. From the time that God first came to him and said, Jacob, it's time to leave Laban and it's time to go to Bethel till here again, where God reiterates that same promise. It's been 10 years. And I find that to be really important because if you don't wrap your head around that, you can do what I used to do when I was growing up and studying these. And I was thinking, man, I wish I was like an Old Testament guy. God just talked to them all the time. God's always talking to those guys. Twice in 10 years, it's not that often, is it? But when we start reading that, we can think, man, if I really was in tune, if I was really doing things right, then God would just be speaking to me constantly. And I don't know about you, but that's not been by personal experience as a Christian, as a believer. So I was talking to my wife about this. If, if I was to take the last 18 years of my life, the time that I've been married, right? The most important years of my life. And I was to say, okay, are there times in there when God has spoken to me? Kind of like he did here with Jacob. Yeah, I'd say four of them. Here's what he told me. Marry that girl. It's good advice go to Africa, start a family, have a fourth child. Four times in the last 18 years, where I really felt like God said, arise and go to Bethel, change a direction. This is a new plan I have for your life. That's not a lot. It's a lot, but it's not a lot. And so often I think we think, man, I should be hearing from God every day if I was really spiritual. Now, nah, so often God just intervenes periodically. And then the other thing is when you read these, I think we have to be careful to not read into the story something the story doesn't say. And here's what I mean. It says, God said to Jacob. I think I always picture in my head that God shows up with that James Earl Jones voice and it's like, Jacob, arise, go to Bethel, right? Four times in the last 18 years, I would say God has told me something. And only one time do I think he spoke to me audibly. And I was alone in my car, so I don't even know. Maybe it was just in my head. And it it wasn't the greatest experience in the world because the first thing he said was stop whining. Um, Yeah, it's a different story. So we'll do that story on a different night. But I think so often we read into this and we think that's the way God speaks. He shows up with this big, deep voice and he just interjects. That's not been my experience. So I'll tell you my experience on the last one. Have a fourth kid. That's the last thing that God told our family that was like, oh, that's, that's not the direction we thought we were headed. So we'd had three kids. Um, I was turning 40 and uh, my wife comes up to me one day and she's like, I think there might be someone missing from our family. And my first thought was we are not getting another dog because <laughs> that's the only thing I could think of. And she's like, no, I've really been thinking about like having another baby. And I'm like, I mean like a like baby, like, like, like hit the reset. Like everyone's potty trained. Everyone's sleeping through the night. There hasn't been a diaper in my house in two and a half years. We gave away the baby stuff. You mean like hit the giant life reset button, that baby, baby? Yeah. Okay. Let me pray about that. And let us fast about that together because that's a huge life thing so we did and we prayed and we spent a couple weeks fasting. We didn't fast for two weeks, but intermittently and talking through. And here's what happened. God changed my heart. He didn't speak to me. I didn't get a giant rep. I just got this, because I went from that's absolutely insane to let's get started, right? And she's been just this amazing joy in our life. And now we are 100% done. So four is, Right? She's just been such a blessing. And I thought I was too old. I thought it was, she's actually my easiest kid to remember how old she was, is because I just subtract 40 years from how old I am. Right? So that means that I'm gonna be 58 when she, that's depressing. So. But so often we read this and we're like, that's the way God speaks to people because that's how I think this story went. It doesn't say that. Just as God spoke to Jacob, God speaks to us in many different ways. God's spoken to me through other people. God speaks to me through his word. Yeah, God can speak audibly to you or God can just change your heart. Either way, he's spoken and then we react, right? Okay, so that's the first mistake I think we have. We have this timeline crunch and we, don't, and we read too many things into this story. But now let's ask ourselves those questions. What does this teach us about God? God. What does this story teach me about God? And it teaches me something that I learned through the years of walking. And I've told so many people this, God's current instructions are most likely his last instructions if you haven't done them yet. Right? So often I talk to people and they're like, what does God want for me to do in my life? And I'm like, well, has he told you? Well, seven or eight years ago, he told me I needed to do this. Did you do it? No, that's probably still your instructions what does God want me to do? What he already told you to do. And so often that's true in my life. God knows I can handle one set of instructions at a time. And so he gives me one set. And then graciously, he will remind me. 10 years ago, God said, Jacob, go to Bethel. Jacob went to Shechem, made a wreck of his life and his family. It's bad. And God comes back to Jacob and isn't like, you boned. What does he say? Jacob, go to Bethel, just like I told you. So often that's what I see in my own life. So that's what it tells me about God. What does it tell us about ourselves, us as Christians, as believers? It's never too late to go back to Bethel. It's never too late to, you've never made too big a mess of your life to come back to Bethel, to the house of God to a place where you can come and fellowship and dwell with people and be around your savior. Just never too late. Jacob made, I mean, I've made some dumb decisions and I'm sure you guys have too, but I don't know if any of you guys have made decisions bad enough to turn your children into mass murderers. That's what just happened in the last chapter. Jacob, go back to Bethel. I need to be reminded of that but I also think that we all need to be reminded to continually remind other people of that. Those people who have failed and ruined their lives and made train wrecks. Hey, when's the last time you invited someone like that to church? Hey, come back to church. I can't go. You can, you're always welcome. You're always welcome at Bethel. You can always go back to Bethel. And then finally, does this give me any instructions? Anything that I can do with this that makes like a, an actionable item. And I think it does. I think what's really interesting is this. It says that Jacob told his children, arise, put away your foreign gods and purify yourselves. And then it says this, and they gave Jacob all their foreign gods that they had and all the rings that were in their ears. I think so often men, dads, moms, our families are just waiting for us to stand up and lead. Jacob doesn't get much pushback, does he? He doesn't. They're just like, okay, Jacob, you're finally making a godly walking forward decision. We will follow you. I know it doesn't always work out that way, but so often I see if you decide, listen, this is what we're doing and you walk that out, your family will follow. That was the challenge to me. Like, Hey, sometimes I can look at the the Shechem's that I've made of my life and be like, well, no one will wanna fall. Turn around, we're going to Bethel family and they're gonna come with us, right? So verse five, and they journeyed. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bukuth. So as he leaves Shechem and he travels to Bethel, God protects him from all these surrounding villages because his sons had just committed a bunch of murder, probably murdered people's family members. There could have been this huge war against Jacob and yet God protected him. But this is where I think we run into a very large issue when it comes to studying the Old Testament. And that's this, it's the descriptive versus prescriptive fallacy. This is not prescriptive. And here's what I mean by that. I read a ton of commentaries that said, now that Jacob is finally doing what God wants him to do, God is protecting him. Is that why God is protecting Jacob? Because Jacob is finally being obedient. So if we're disobedient, God won't protect us. But as long as we're obedient, God protects us. I feel like Paul would have an issue with that statement. Right? Second Corinthians, I've been beaten, I've been whipped, I've been shipwrecked. Oh, Paul, well, you must not have been obeying God's will. No, this is just descriptive. This is just describing a gracious, amazing thing that God did for Jacob. And it's really important we get that because if we don't get that, if we take these stories and we read it, well, like God, God's protecting Jacob now because Jacob's obeying. God's protecting Jacob because God's gracious and God loves him and God wants to bless him. And it's not transactional. It's not because of his obedience that he's being protected. Now, don't get me wrong. You're gonna run into a lot more life problems under disobedience than you are under obedience, because that's one of the reasons God laid out the way to live. When you live in this way, all sorts of terrible things go wrong. It's not that I'm punishing you, like literally just you're gonna make a wreck of your life. When you walk in obedience, it does tend to be easier. It does tend to be the way that things are supposed to be, but we cannot make those things transactional. God doesn't bless me because I obey him. God blesses me because he's a good and gracious father. And I obey him because he's a good and gracious father. Because here's what happens. If we get this wrong, it's actually impossible to be truly thankful. And we've been talking on Sundays, how important Thanksgiving is, right? You cannot be truly thankful for something that you think is owed to you. And if you think that God owes you protection because of how good you've been, or God owes you blessings because you've been going to church or God's, or these good things that have happened in your life or because you've been reading your Bible or getting up early, then you're not actually thankful for them because you think they're owed to you. So I'll prove it like this. Are you thankful for your paycheck? Somebody, who, who would say they're thankful for their paycheck? You're not, you're not. I, 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 here's what I mean. You might be thankful you have a job. You might be thankful for your bosses. You might be thankful for how things are. But if you worked 40 hours a week for two weeks or a whole month and payday came around and you showed up and your boss was like, yeah, I'm not gonna pay you this week. Would you be ticked? Yes. You cannot truly be thankful for something you will be angry if you do not receive. Those are mutually exclusive right? And when we make these things prescriptive and we turn God's blessings into payments for our good behavior, it takes away any ability we have to be thankful to him. And it's so important that we're thankful. Why does God bless Jacob? Because he blesses Jacob. Why does God bless you and me? Because he blesses us. Are there more blessings down the route of obedience? There probably are. Not because of your obedience, but that's why God said it was the good path to begin with. Obey me, go this direction. It's going to go well with you. Hence the blessings. Don't go that way. It's going to be disaster. And it was. But this is just describing God's wonderful, gracious nature. And it's important that we get that, right? So verse 9 And God appeared to Jacob again when he came to pad Aran Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel, the house of God. This is the pinnacle of this chapter. This little section is so unbelievably loaded and beautiful. And what does it tell us about God? It tells us God is a God of blessings. God blesses Jacob. And he has so many blessings for Jacob. And what's really cool is all of these blessings that he has for Jacob, I think are the same exact blessings that he has for you and I today. So here's what they are. The first thing that God gives Jacob is this. I'm gonna give you a new name. Jacob means heel snatcher or deceiver, but Israel, Israel means overcomer. You are the overcomer. I'm giving you, Jacob, a new name and a new identity. Do you know he's done that for every single one of us? God's given you a new name. The New Testament is full of the names that God has for us overcomer, conqueror. You are a conqueror in Christ. Do you know that? Do you look in the mirror in the morning and be like, I am James the conqueror. You couldn't. Totally fine. Through Christ, you're the conqueror. You're a saint. Paul calls you a saint. I can't honestly look in the mirror and call myself a saint. I just start laughing. You know, I know me. God says, you're a saint. Because of what I did for you, I see you as a saint. God says, I see you as my son and my daughter. Jesus says, I see you as my bride. Do you remember when you first got married, just the way you would look at your spouse and just be like, they nothing could possibly be wrong with that person. It's, that lasts like an hour. So... <laughs> My wife's still perfect. Um, That's what Jesus says. You're my bride. I look at you and I'm just like, you're so lovely. You're so wonderful. You're radiant. I can't wait to spend my life with you. You're his bride. But the world has names for us too, don't they? Addict, victim, unwanted, failure, cheater, shameful. God says here to Jacob, as he says to us, even tonight, put those names out, that's not who you are. I know that's been in your past. I know that's part of your history. It's not who you are. I've renamed you. I've named you Christian, little Christ. And you might not be there yet, but you allow my spirit to work in your life. And we're gonna slowly move you closer and closer and closer to that until one day you see me and you'll live perfectly. You're a Christian. If you put your faith in Jesus and you're here tonight, you are a little Christ. That's how God sees you, covered in his righteousness. I think we need to start seeing ourselves like that. Because if you do, it's a blessing and God wants to bless you with that. So that's the first thing he gives Jacob is a new identity. Secondly, he gives him a new calling. And here's what he says. I am God almighty. El Shaddai, be fruitful and multiply. That's Jacob's calling. Now, if you've been traveling with us in Genesis or for the original audience who had been reading this, that phrase, be fruitful and multiply, should kind of set off an alarm bell in your head. It's a fairly familiar phrase, right? Who did God first say that to? Adam and Eve. It's in Genesis 1:28. But he said something else to Adam and Eve that he hasn't said to Jacob. It's interesting to see what's missing. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply and subdue. He doesn't say that to Jacob. Why? Because Adam and Eve failed to subdue, didn't they? There was evil in the garden. Adam and Eve did not subdue the serpent. They failed. And so what happened? God showed up. And right there in Genesis three, he makes this promise. He says, the seed of the woman shall crush the Satan's head. What he says is this, you be fruitful and multiply. I'll subdue. I will subdue because you have failed to do so. And then he reiterates this promise here to Jacob. Look, be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations come from you. A kings shall come from your own body. Who's in the lineage of Jacob? It's Jesus Christ. I think what's being hinted at here is this new calling we have as a partnership. Listen, I'll play my role, Jesus says, I will subdue. You be fruitful and multiply and partner with me. I think it's so freeing and beautiful. So question, New Testament believer, Edgewater Christian Fellowship member, Wednesday nighter, is it your job to subdue evil. No, Jesus already did it. He subdued evil on the cross. That's why it says that sin and death has been defeated. Our job is to play mop-up duty and sweep the evil away. It's already been subdued. It's already been beaten. Our job is to partner with Jesus and push it out, right? It's been subdued. How do we do that? How do we partner with God in pushing evil out of our towns, out of our homes, out of our communities? I think it's two things. I think it's good works and good news. Those are the things. Those are the way we partner with God. Good works. I partner with you by being a blessing to those around me. I take care of widows and orphans. I take care of my neighbors. We do good works. We're called to it not because good works save us, but because Jesus saved us. So we go do good works and they're important. They're hugely important. Matt likes to tell the story about this church in India where we were working with and and this well that got drilled. Have you guys heard the story about this well? Yeah, so this well gets drilled way up on the hill and this guy from the city shows up and this place is green and beautiful. And what does he say? You guys keep doing stuff like this. All of India will be Christian because good works matter and good news. The good news is, hey, you can be renamed. You can be renamed. God has a better calling for your life and we need to be spreading good works and good news because that's how we be fruitful and multiply and partner. He's subdued. We spread good news. We spread good works and partner with God in this calling that he's given us. So it's a new identity, a new calling. And then he gives him a new legacy. He says this, a company and company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. Says your legacy is you're in the lineage of the king of the universe. Your legacy is not how much 401k you leave to your kids someday. Your legacy is you're in the lineage. You are a son or daughter of the king of the universe. That's our legacy. And we can wear that proudly. Right? We can step into that legacy, just as God is calling Jacob to do. And then finally, he gives him a new future. He says this, the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. I will give the land to your offspring after you. What does he tell Jacob? I've got a promised land for you. I've got a beautiful promised land for you. What does he tell you and I today? I've got a promised land for you. I've got a beautiful, promised, eternal, never tarnishing, tear-free, perfect, beautiful land for you to enter into and dwell with someday. And I think it's important that we remember that because it is a huge blessing. How often do you wake up and you be just like, I'm so blessed today, why? Because I'm going to heaven when I die. Because this isn't it, because it's all gonna burn because this is so temporary, I'm so blessed because of that, right? And then, so that tells us about God, that tells us about ourselves. One more question in this little section is this, is there anything that I'm supposed to do? What's my response to all this? What's Jacob's response to God? It says, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, A pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. This is almost word for word exactly what Jacob did the first time he was in Bethel 30 years ago. Here's the point. Jacob doesn't do anything special. It's great. It's wonderful. It's exactly what he's supposed to be doing, but it's nothing special or guruish or amazing. I think we get this idea that, man, when I've been walking with God for that long, I'll become like a 33rd degree Christian. I'll be like an eighth degree black belt Christian. The Christian walk is actually pretty easy. It's pretty simple. Honestly, it's a lot like marriage, okay? The main issue with marriages is that either one or both of the people have stopped doing what they were doing when they were dating. That's the biggest problem. If you both been back to doing what you were doing when you were dating, loving on each other, couldn't wait to see each other, calling, sending notes, thinking the best of the person, letting their faults slide off to the side because you don't really care, how beautiful would your marriage be? So oftentimes, I think the Christian walks like that. We think we've got to get more complicated or more holy, or I've got to speak in tongues or have these, just do basic worship. I just built a pillar and I poured some oil on it and I worshiped God. It's not more complicated than that. It's very simple. Not easy, not easy, but it's simple, right? Jacob just Worships, he just worships, nothing special, nothing complicated, nothing new. Verse 16, then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear for you have another son. And as her son was departing for she was dying, as her soul was departing, interesting language there, she was dying. She called his name Ben-Onai, which means son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. And Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Okay. We run into a big potential pitfall with this little section of scripture. And it's this, so often people try to over-spiritualize things. Okay. Here's what I mean. I read a ton of commentaries on this. I can't tell you how many commentaries talked about the fact that Rachel, what they did is this. They quoted these two things that happened to Rachel. They said, back when Rachel couldn't have kids, she told Jacob, I need to have kids lest I die. And they said, well, that she made an unholy vow and now she's reaping the consequences of that which she said. Really? Or the other thing they say is, if you remember when they left Laban's house that Rachel stole her father's gods. Do you remember that part of the story? And Laban comes out and Jacob says, hey, whoever has your gods, let them be put to death. This is that coming true is what all these commentaries were saying. Or Rachel just died. Rachel just died. People die in childbirth. If you start trying to over-spiritualize every little thing that you read in here, you get weird real quick. You do. You get weird real quick. And now, oh, it's Rachel and she made an un... No, she had a hard childbirth. It was tragic. And even in Bethel, bad things happen because we live in a broken world. People die. Rachel died. It's as simple as that. But you have to be careful. Because the other thing that creeps in there, and it's, it's kind of the second point of the same one, is you can't trust everybody you read or listen to when it comes to studying through the Bible, okay? I have said some incredibly stupid things from up here that were not true. Did you know that? I did it three months ago. I did, and only one person called me on it. So shame on you all. I was praying in my opening prayer. I was wanting to, I was just kind of like, I was thinking through like how amazing it is what God did. It was kind of coming up to Christmas time, how he came down here, how he dwelt with us. And here's what I said in my prayer. God set aside his divinity and took on the form of man and came down. That's not true. That's actually blasphemy, okay? I, it is. He didn't, he was always God. That's not what I meant to say but I say stupid things because I'm not thinking sometimes. I meant to say he set aside his glory, his comfort and came down to dwell. He didn't set aside his divinity. He was always God. That was wrong. Just not even accurate. Very misleading. And only one person came up and was like, I don't think, did you really mean to? And I was like, oh, dude, I did say that, didn't I? I was not good. Right? Don't trust me. Or anybody else. No, there is something that's really important. It's you come back to the word and you come back to God's spirit is in you, Christian. God's spirit can help divine those things. Was that right? Ah, that didn't, something about that didn't feel quite like it should have been. Let me do some research. Let me ask some questions. Hey, Pastor James, did you actually mean to say that? No, I did not. Okay, well, that makes it much more clear. You can't trust everything you read or everything you hear. It's a lot of weird stuff out there, right? Okay. (laughs) While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. Okay, hold on. Did Did you catch that? Like, what is this random sentence? While Israel, now Jacob is calling himself Israel, lived in that land, Reuben, his oldest, went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. And then we move right on with the rest of the chapter. It doesn't seem to be that anything else happened to Reuben. You can't read one chapter. You got to read the whole story because it's not till Genesis 48 when Jacob comes and gives his blessings to his son that he doesn't put Reuben as head of the household as he should be as the eldest kid. He says, because you defiled. And we could go into why this happens. It's probably a power play. There's probably some dynamic here where like the same way that Absalom went in and took David's wives. He's trying to set himself up as the head of the household in this situation. It's wrong. Listen, you might think you got away with it. Sin is a long memory. It does. Don't. God will not be mocked. What we reap, we're gonna sow. Now God's gracious and he covers and he loves and he forgives, but sin has its own consequences and they grow their roots deep, right? Now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, God, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Pateran Aram. And Jacob came to his father, Isaac, at Mamre, or Kiriabath Arba, that is Hebron. Why couldn't we just say Hebron? sorry, it's where Abram and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years and Isaac breathed his last and he died and was gathered to his people old and full of days. And his son Esau and Jacob buried him. Do you remember all the way back at the beginning of this story? How did this thing kick off? Jacob's like, I'm old, I'm going to die. Sons get in here. And then I'm not sorry, Isaac. And then Jacob tricks his father, right, and steals the blessing. That was 43 years ago. He said, How's your dad doing? Oh, it's still kicking. Wasn't he gonna? Yes, that's what he said. I don't know. <laughs> Too many mashed potatoes. I'm not sure. It was. Can I, I? I'm a younger guy. Can I give some older people a piece of advice? I know that's not the way it's supposed to go. Here's the thing I've noticed. I do a lot of work in the Valley. I meet a lot of people. I meet a lot of older people. And here's what I've noticed. If someone's older, I'd say 70 plus, I can almost never guess how old they are because they are either much younger or much older than I think they are, or they're much younger than I think they are. And here's what I mean. Some people, they're out there gardening, they're out there working, they're out there living, they're out there talking. I'm like, how old are you thinking? Early 80s, I'm 92. What? And then some people are like immobile on the couch. And I'm like, oh, how old are you? I'm 71. And it seems to be that there's this giant break and there's people who decide I'm going to keep living. Jacob, Isaac quit. I'm, I'm, I'm done. 43 years he missed out. We don't hear about him, the amazing things he could have been doing, right? And I've met so many amazing Christian elderly saints who are so continuing to be plugged in and serving and praying. And it's the most amazing blessing. The wisdom of the elder Christians is so necessary in today's church. So thank you for being here and keep plugging on. You're not dead till you're dead, right? That's what we learned from Isaac. You're not. You might have 43 more years. Some of you are like, oh, dear God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can do it. <laughs> right? St. James. James. So there's one more fallacy that that I see pop up fairly often. One more problem that I see when people are studying the Bible. And it's this, it's trusting the headings or anything else that you read in the Bible. That's not actually scripture. So let me ask you this. How many of you guys have this heading in your Bible for tonight's chapter? God renames Jacob, right? That's what mine says. Is this the chapter where God renames Jacob? It's not. The chapter where God renames Jacob is 10 years earlier when they wrestled. This is the chapter where God reminds Jacob what his name is. And that is a very different chapter because all of us need to be reminded from time to time what our names are, right? Have you heard of um, name it and claim it theology, right? Where like, if you want something from God, you just got to name it. I don't know why they all, you got to name it and claim it, right? I believe that Jesus will give me a new house and I name it and I claim it. I got another term, another theology that I think is even more important. Claim the name. Claim the name. God has renamed you. Have you claimed it as your identity? Are you walking in it? Are we walking in it? Why didn't Jacob? Why didn't he go straight to Bethel? I've been thinking about that. And I think it's some of the same reasons why I and we and you fail to claim our name immediately. First is, maybe it was just a long ways. Just looked kind of hard. Right? I, was, I was walking along, I was leaving my area. I came through Shechem, man, it looked comfortable. It's a lot of wealth here. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty comfy in Shechem. And man, Bethel's just so far over there. I just, I'm just gonna hang out here for a while. And we fail to walk in the promises and the conquering and the partnership that God has for us because we're too comfortable and we're too lazy. And I, that's me too, absolutely. But I also think that maybe it was shame. Jacob's thinking about going back to Bethel and He's like, I got idols in my house, man. I got all these idols in my house. I don't know. I don't know if God wants me around when I've still got all this junk that I haven't dealt with. And what this chapter is not telling us is that you have to get rid of the idols to go to Bethel. It's go to Bethel, just go. God will take care of the idols. I think so often I fail to walk in all these promises. I fail to claim the name that God has spoken over my life because I'm comfortable or lazy or full of shame. And we miss out and I miss out. And I don't want that for any of us, right? Jacob's life is so much better when he goes to Bethel. Not the bad things don't still happen. Rachel still dies, right? It's still tough, but man, it's beautiful. He's with God, amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for a book that is living and active and full of things to teach us in 2024 in Grants Pass, Oregon. And as long as you tarry, it's gonna continue to have new revelation for us. I pray that we would be a people walking in that, claiming the names that you've spoken over us, conqueror, saint, overcomer, bride, Christian. Father, let us walk in those identities even this week. In Jesus name, amen.